Welcome to Better Off Red. Hey everybody, I'm Danny Katch. I'm Jen Rush. I'm Eric Ruder. And we are Better Off Red. <laughs> no? Okay. No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, this week... We have a really cool interview with a couple of tech workers, Kristen and Zakia, um, and they're gonna they're gonna get into both some of the issues they face in tech, the spate of tech worker organizing that's been going on, like uh, the walkouts at Google around sexual harassment. Yeah, and even just recently, I know in the last week, uh, the, some Microsoft workers went public with a petition against Microsoft's involvement in you know Pentagon contracts, and you know so there's been. There's, there's this, the walkouts against sexual assault at Google. There's also been a whole series of internal organizing around petitions against tech companies being involved in ICE and, you know, in the Pentagon. So there's been a lot of tech worker organizing. It's a little bit like, you know, the people who uh, have their hands on the levers of the machine and don't want to be part of it anymore. So you'll get to hear a lot more of that in our interview. Um, but first, we just wanted to make a couple announcements. We don't really have an intro this week. Yeah, because Jen didn't want, like, I had all these really good suggestions, <laughs> and Jen rejected Don't believe all the word Danny says. I came really cranky today, and I was rejecting all the suggestions. <laughs> shot Danny shot down, down every single idea I, I had. I apologize to Jen. I apologize to Better Off Red listeners who would have could have heard some of the amazing ideas, but I just wasn't he wasn't quite feeling, feeling it. it, but we channeled that into figuring out some future guest episodes and some future intros. And we're coming up on our one year anniversary and we're really excited about it. And we're starting our spring calendaring. And I think we're going to have some really great episodes coming up. And and if you have I any ideas that so. you <laughs> and if you have any <laughs> and if you have any ideas that you want to send us, betteroffredpod at gmail.com is your way to get in touch with us with your proposals for topics guests that we should interview and so on. So reach yeah, out. some of our best ideas have come from listeners. So that's been really exciting. So anyway, we're going to get to the heart of our interview soon. We did want to just make a quick little plug for something coming up that we're all going to be at. And we wanted to put on other people's radar so you could start planning. It's the annual socialism conference in Chicago, um, which seems like a fitting location for a socialism conference. Right now. I mean, it can literally be hosted by the Chicago City Council by the right. time it's happening, right? It's going to be entirely <laughs> socialist, I think. I thought the plenary was happening in the chambers. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So for people who don't know what we're talking about, um, four out of the five DSA-backed socialist candidates uh, who are running for city council in Chicago won their elections, which is... Or one getting oh, into God. a runoff. Yes, or one getting into a runoff, sorry, um, including some really impressive movement activists, um, especially Rosanna Rodriguez, which is a campaign we've sort of been paying attention to closely because it's an independent campaign rooted in the historic immigrant rights movement. And we'll be talking about that more in the more in the future. But anyway, back to socialism. Right. So socialismconference.org. So, right, if you want to go to this red city uh, this summer, uh, the it's, it's, a, it's a conference that's going to have Naomi Klein, Mike Davis, Kiangi Amata-Taylor, Amani Perry, Francis Fox Piven, some, like a Sarah lot Jaffe. of- Sarah Jaffe. Sarah Jaffe. Um, Danny Catch. Danny's, Dave Zirin. <laughs> many, many people who've been on our uh, podcast. Right. And I think what makes the conference a little different than some others is that in addition to all these kind of uh, really prominent- 
uh, myself excluded speakers, you know, <laughs> on the left, it's also a very grassroots conference in the sense that you also, you have just as many workshops, if not more, being led by strike leaders, you know, from different teacher strikes, you know, uh, nurses, all sorts of different grassroots movements. And as well, the, and, and all the sessions give as much time for discussion, which are also full being attended by activists from around the country, from around the world who are bringing in all their, their experiences. So it's a very, it's a, it's topics that are about the politics of socialism from below, but the conference also very much reflects the politics of, you know, struggles from below. The last couple of years, there are right around 2,000 participants. Um, and uh, yeah, go to socialismconference.org to get more details. Registration is open, mm-hmm. so you can register. And we have a discount student rate. Um, and you can get in touch with the Socialism Organizing Committee if you want to get brochures and bundles sent to you. Uh, people can bring groups from wherever they are. There's over 150 meeting topics, meetings that people get together for, as well as like just sort of the socializing and the be- being able to meet people from different struggles all around the country and all around the world. I think this is going to be an incredible year to have this kind of discussions. Um, so Guys, yeah. we didn't say the title of this year's conference. Oh. <laughs> or the date. Or the date. <laughs> <laughs> so details, <it's>, details. <laughs> so it's July 4th to July 7th. So that is the 4th of July holiday weekend. So it's even more fitting that the theme for the conference this year is no borders, no bosses, no binaries. Socialism 2019. So check it out. Better Off Red is listener-supported public radio podcast. We appreciate donations as small as $1 a month or as high as... I thought you were going to say as small as your voice. (laughs) However you want. It's an, you know, you have to be polite NPR stuff. Go to www.patreon.com slash betteroffredpod to inquire about how you can make donations to this valuable podcast serving the public interest. That's www.patreon.com slash betteroffredpod. Thank you, Danny Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? Yes, that's Fine. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're back for our interview with Kristen and Zakia. We're really excited about it. Zakia is a long-term member of the International Socialist Organization. She's worked in tech as a web developer for 14 years. She lives and works right now in the San Francisco Bay Area and occasionally writes for Socialist Worker. Um, That's the bio she sent us. We also want to mention that she was one of the key forces behind the snazzy redesign of socialistworker.org, and we are eternally grateful to her. Um, And then Kristen is a graduate student in computer science. She's now based in the Boston area. She's also a member of the ISO, and she volunteers with the Tech Workers Coalition, which is definitely an organization you should check out in a city near you. All right, we're back with Kristen and Zakia. Thank you guys so much for being with us. It's good to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So we're just going to dive right in and get started talking about tech workers organizing and what it means. And tech worker organizing. And tech worker organizing. All right. So, um, well, I, I think that maybe the place to start is to ask both of you who um, who both work in the industry, kind of based on your own uh, experiences there, 
What is it that's driving tech workers to want to get organized today? How much is it about the conditions that people experience on the job, um, either like in the actual work process or in terms of, you know, other other kind of negative experiences they have there that's driving people to want to, to wanna organize? And then on the other hand, how much is it about people coming to see their complicity with various kinds of injustices that the tech industry is, you know, contracted with by various entities to, to facilitate in, in that sense. So how much is it about their workplace experience versus the actual role that people see themselves playing in the tech industry and what tech is doing to our society? Well, I think that people do have complaints about things on the job, but they're not as, um, like that's not what's really driving um, what's happening right now. I think it is about what role text plays, like this outsized role in people's lives. And um, and there's just a lot of, um, you know, um, decisions made by, corp- you know, like the corporation that people didn't really sign on for that, you know, affect people's lives that might be like either um, helping build the security apparatus or like supporting ICE or, just, um, you know, data collection stuff that's really um, um, unseemly. And then, you know, you combine that with just how much, um, like I, I work in San Francisco, there's just a lot of inequality. And um, a lot of the tech workers are sort of, you know, you, you just can't go through your day without being really aware of that. And I think people are trying to figure out how to get together and, um, you know, um, just, just makes the world a better place for lack of a better word. Just like to try to undo some of the evils that like they may have had a, a some kind of part in. Mm-hmm. I guess on that, something I, I think has been sort of relevant in my experience coming into the industry as sort of like a young idealistic person and, um, with others, I talked to, um, coworkers and, and friends, uh, who are also in the industry. Many of us started working at these places for maybe naive, but the right reasons. A lot of the big companies in San Francisco and Silicon Valley um, do have these very ideologically charged mission statements. Uh, Like people very, like make the world a better place, don't do evil, connecting people. And people saw an opportunity to do interesting work that wasn't maybe tied to the government or was for these greater causes um and then seeing that those messages actually didn't have weight that the corporate decision makers would still go and do these things that directly violate the intended mission of these companies um i think really led people to see their work in a different light than maybe is the case at other types of firms um not in like a holistic sense but i do think that that ideological role had a part. What what are some of the things in tech that are driving a radicalization against that? Like if you sort of started as this kind of idealistic force for good, um, what are the forces of evil? <laughs> like what is tech doing that's <laughs> that's not good, you know, that's the dark side. Yeah, I think for many of us in the industry, the Trump administration and outside, of course, like we've seen this with many more people getting involved with a new socialist movement, et cetera, um, in the wake of the Trump administration. And I think 
while these companies definitely were doing projects that you could probably broadly categorize as doing things for the forces of evil, I think people were more willing to turn a blind eye to it or not really recognize it as such or make excuses for it. Um, But I think for many folks, like there was um, a big meeting in the early first couple of weeks of the Trump administration where all of the big Silicon Valley execs, even some of those who had gone to the airport protests and stuff, were all at this meeting with the president about the tech industry and how the tech industry could support this new administration. And for a lot of people, I think this was like a huge breaking point to see um, really seeing some of the leadership of these companies as not on their side and actually like opposed to what many of us as rank and file tech workers support. Um, And I think we've seen this with some of the projects that have become um, known through, through the media. Amazon's facial recognition software that's being sold to police departments, um, Microsoft and Salesforce and others having contracts with ICE and CBP, um, just as news was breaking around family separation at the border. Um, Google has had its host of um, projects that you could probably very easily categorize as forces for evil from unsupervised drone technology um, and uncensored search for for China, which we know would harm ordinary people and activists in China. Um, Yeah. Zakia, do you want to add anything? Just the fact that like the CEOs of these companies create a little bit of an open forum to like say they, a lot of times people sign contracts or they're sold um, the idea that they're going to be part of like something great and they're going to, um, um, work together to create a force for good and that they, and that the companies want their input on everything. And I think a lot of people were like, yeah, okay, so here's our input. Like <laughs> we think that <laughs> we think that we shouldn't do certain things for the government that are, you know, questionable. And, um, you know, and I think that, um, the, like right now, um, it, it's just like, it's created this huge opening. Um, and I think, like, in addition to the list of other evil things, I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, for example, Facebook and their, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like data collection and then selling it to the highest bidder, um, what the implications on the election may have been, um, mm-hmm. which are a little, it's like, I think it's questionable how much effect that all actually had. But there's just all these instances where these large tech companies that rake in, you know, so much money um, are sort of running rampant and going way outside what you think their core um, um, competency is. Like, what what's the point of Facebook? Is it to connect and share people, or is it to you know create a huge database of like vulnerable people? Right. <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> um, in an era where people are really questioning like the system, um, there's just a lot there's there's a lot of reason to, to start getting active. Kristen, you mentioned how the Trump, the election of Donald Trump and the kind of coming to power of his administration helped to radicalize a bunch of people. And you can totally see that. And then you also mentioned how that has had a similar impact on a sort of new socialist radicalization in this country. And I wondered whether, you know, just again, following up on what both of you have just said about the way in which tech has kind of been implicated in various aspects of making our society work 
in the interest of the 1% and so on, if part of this opening, like Zakia just described it, is also an opening to talk about capitalism per se. In other words, has that actually, has have the, these developments implicated for people the sort of larger political and economic system? Or is it, at this point, is it really more something that maybe that's true of some people, but that by and large, people are mostly just concerned about, you know, the sort of impact on democracy? Because certainly, I mean, there is a way in which that's obviously growing and kind of ever present. I mean, I'm just thinking about the way in which um, like the Facebook scandal and the whole fake news issue around the elections meant that like Google changed its algorithm, Facebook changed its algorithm for how search results get displayed. And suddenly like left wing publications like Socialist Worker, for example, and many others found that it was much harder to get page reads because of, of that dynamic. So so I guess, you know, just to kind of summarize the question, and it's like, is this about the sort of ways in which this is deforming our democracy or is it, a, is, is it you know, or is it about an impl implicating the whole system in some sense for people and kind of what's the balance on how people are absorbing that broadly speaking? Sure. For most people, it is about democracy, a lot of um, what's happening. But there is a a, a, a group of, you know, for a smaller subset of those people, mm -hmm. they are they are talking about the system. I have you I don't think previous to Trump's election, I had ever heard the word socialism in my workplace. Mm -hmm. I've been in tech for <laughs> 12 years um, and I've had a number of conversations with coworkers about socialism. Part of that was because of Bernie Sanders, but also, um, so in addition to Sanders, um, the fact that there is so much inequality around us and, you know, we're all, you know, citizens and mm. moving about the world. And we're wondering, you know, why is there so much inequality? A lot people have kids in schools. They want to know about like how schools are working in San Francisco when mm -hmm. we have like, right. um, you know, we have literal billionaires. <laughs> in the city, why is it so hard to find a good, you know, school for a public, good public school? Mm -hmm. um, so, so these things come up in everyday conversation in addition to the things about tech. Mm -hmm. I think that's just what's happening in the world. Um, but there, yeah, there are definitely people questioning um, the system as a whole and not just, you know, trying to look for ways to make the system better. On, on that topic, I guess, um, I would agree that it, it's pretty mixed, but I think also people's experiences are driving them to think more critically about capitalism and the systems that we live in. Crucially, I think when you start to ask people, like, why don't you want to work on, you know, facial recognition for police? Why do you think that's a bad problem? And if you drill sort of like a little bit below the surface there and get to what people's ideas of what the world should be. Um, You'll, you'll start to see the beginnings of folks thinking more critically about some of the things that are taken for granted about the society we live in. Um, and conversely, when you talk about the company, like why is the company deciding to do these projects that are bad? Um, you'll ultimately get to the answer like for, for money, for profit. And I think one of what we say about why, like the profit motive inevitably leads capitalism to move in these ways that are against, that are exploitative, that are, that do oppress people. And if we want to move beyond a society that exploits and oppresses people, we need to move beyond capitalism. So I think like it's there and people are sort of pushing the boundaries of what they think is possible through their own experiences. Um, 
organizing for things that are better at their workplaces, which is just very exciting. Yeah, I mean, so that gets to a whole other dynamic that we'd wanted to ask you about, actually, which is that one of the sort of things around the tech sector is the sort of question of class, because especially when you have some people who work, who get paid, you know, pretty well, um, and then you have some who are owners and bosses who might be progressive in a certain kind of sense. Um, And then there's sort of classic blue collar, white collar splits. You know, I'm thinking of like, you know, people. Amazon workers, people who aren't like the highest in the warehouse, people in, work in warehouses, people work in the warehouses. Like if you think more expansively right. about it as an industry. So how do those questions about class play out, you know, amongst tech workers when they're thinking about organizing? Like, and what are your sort of reflections as, you know, socialists, as Marxists uh, on these questions? Yeah. Um, well, I think that um, for some people, um, you know, when you find out I, I can't speak personally about it, but like I imagine if you're one of the people who takes one of the you know tech buses around the Bay Area and you're you find out later that your bus driver sleeps in that bus mm. um, because wow. they can't they can't um you know they don't make enough to afford the rent that's in the Bay Area, then Jesus. you start to have an affinity. And I think a lot of the sort of early tech worker organizing that was happening around like two thousand fourteen kind of started with, um, cafeteria workers and, um, janitors really, you know, trying to fight for better wages and then sort of, you know, the engineers, the more high paid people being like, wait a second, we should, we have influence in this company and we care about what happens to the people around us. Um, how can we help, you know, like how Mm -hmm. can we support and be in solidarity? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think that, um, you know, there's definitely, uh, people in (laughs) this industry, who really don't care, you know, for sure. There's, you know, there is, there are callous people, but I think most people are, you know, good, genuine people and they want to see other people do well. Um, Kristen, do you have anything you want to add to that or? The question of class in tech. I mean, I think for me, class has never really been about how much money you make. Um, It's about your relationship to power in your workplace. And I think what a lot of, well, for some tech workers, like their wages might not be their key demand because their wages are quite high. Um, but if you scratch below the surface, I think you'll find many issues in the workplace that do affect tech workers. Um, even ones that we think of as maybe like not having any workplace grievances because they have, you know, whatever, ping pong tables and free lunch. Um, <laughs> but I think for women in the industry and particularly women of color in the industry, um, the sexism and racism that you just experience um, on a sort of daily basis is is a workplace issue um, and does speak to the experience of oppression and class. And yeah, just to I think the solidarity stuff that Zakia highlighted is super important and really critical to understanding how tech workers are thinking about their role as workers. Um, But I also kind of want to push back a little bit that tech workers are somehow like bought off or because 
their wages are high right now. Um, they don't have any demands that we would think of more as bread and butter demands. To add to that, I think that um, I was a Marxist before I was a tech worker. <laughs> and I, 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 I see, you know, I've always understood that, like, I was part of the working class. Like, I had to earn, get a wage from an employer in order to survive. And right now, at this particular moment, those wages are higher than average. Um, but um, they haven't always been that way. And it's usually a and it's a reflection of like where, um, you know, um, how many people are are qualified to do the job and all that stuff. So those relationships matter. And then at the same time, you can also see um, the forces gathering, trying to find ways to drive that wage down, just like they are for any other industry or any other set of workers. Right. So there's a push to make more, you know, like train a new layer of tech workers, right? So you have these coding academies and you have um, people like Bill Gates, like re investing really he heavy in teaching little kids how to code. Um, and so that like, you know, in 20 years, maybe they don't have to pay tech workers as much. There's a real push for automation. So there's um, a desire to write code that will make you have to let, write less code. Mm. The, the mm. code that I write today is... Um, um, I, I can write many, many lines of code, many much more sophisticated systems way faster than I could 10 years ago. Right. Um, so I can produce uh, more, more complex and more things um, in, a, in a shorter period of time. So in some ways, I'm like, you know, like the, there's I've, I think one of the, the contradictory things or one of the things you'll hear from people in tech is that, you know, our jobs will always be high wage because they require these higher level thinking. Um, and maybe that's true for a certain layer, um, but there's a lot of work that we've automated down and like, so, or, um, or are trying, you know, there's, there's, there are theories of the case that, um, you know, one day tech work will be as, you know, very much like working on the assembly line, like you, and there are companies that actually have a business model of, you know, just doing bug fixes for already huge systems. And you like, they hire people who aren't from the U S and they pay them like, very little money so that they can just like crank out profits, can't crank out profits. On, and, it, and it's not really about like the quality of the work. So there are ways in which um, the tech work is um, very analog analogous to like the traditional factory models that we talk about with workers. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, there are differences for sure, but there's a lot of things that are very, very similar. Yeah. So I, I, I very much feel like having been, um, at one point, a tech worker who is homeless and now a tech worker who's doing all right, that, um, you know, this is a, you know, there was a boom in 2015 and who knows where we'll be right. um, in 2028. Um, but um, um, this this is not a static position. And I don't know to what extent those ideas are, are you know, I don't know how many people in tech are thinking about those all the time, the way someone who's like a conscious Marxist is. Um, but I think uh, there there's a real... There are real pressures, just like there are with any other workplace. So when you were talking about writing the code that makes it cheaper for you to write code, it actually made me like look up quickly this Marx quote, which you just perfectly illustrated, where he says, the worker becomes all the poorer, the more wealth he produces, the more his production increases in power and range. The worker becomes an ever cheaper commodity, the more commodity he creates, which I just thought was like exactly what you're saying about code. That was... Oh, yeah. Marx's um, 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 talk about the tendency of the rate to profit to fall and like all this, like 
is so maps perfectly to things right. I see in the tech industry. Like it's, 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 it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not great for the workers in tech, but great yes. for a confirmation of a Marxist worldview. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm not going crazy. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's not you. It's, it's yeah, capitalism. It's capitalism as is often the case. So I want to turn more um, in a moment to some of your actual own workplace experiences that each of you have had. But I think before we get there, because we've kind of been talking about the way in which, you know, people are trending leftward within tech and some of the conversations you've had and so on. But I think that it's also worth saying that, um, you know, tech workplaces aren't just hotbeds of radicalism, of course. Um um, I mean, there was the Google walkout, which was in response to the to Me Too and how management was dealing or failing to deal with sexism among male managers. But on the other hand, it's also clear that the alt right, for example, is very understandably considers um, tech workers who they see as largely white male and affluent or maybe who are largely white male and affluent as their sort of natural audience. And in fact, I was at a, a meeting here in New York City back in the fall where we were, people were talking about organizing in workplaces and someone who works at Google talked about how there was the walkout in his workplace, but also that there were actually white nationalists actively organizing and how it was therefore really important um, for people to be political on the job and to take radical ideas into the workplace and so on. And I just wondered if you guys also saw either, uh, yeah, I just wondered if you also saw any signs of like far right or hard right political activism, organizing ideas, you know, that you came in contact with directly and, and kind of how you've dealt with that potentially. Yeah. I've never experienced anyone of the hard right trying to organize in my workplace or even making their politics known if they had them. I think the more common sort of person who maybe isn't friendly is more of a traditional like liberal or neoliberal type of person who's very tied to this idea of meritocracy. Um, all of the workplaces I've worked in, um, at least the teams I've been on, have been fairly diverse, at least with regard to like race and origin, um, not always in terms of gender diversity. So I think, I mean, the James Damore memo that uh, James Damore, the former Google employee, wrote um, about that just was full of you know, sexist and racist ideas around tech is well known. I think those people do exist. Um, I do not think that they are as prominent as maybe they seem to be, mm. um, but they definitely do exist. And I think things like the Google walkout, which turned out many more people than supporters of the Demore memo, I think show that these aren't the dominant ideas and that we should be open about our politics and our ideas about what we want in a workplace um, to isolate these far right forces. Yeah, I think I agree with that completely. Like we have, there's definitely a threat of libertarianism through mm -hmm. tech, you know, um, that it's not so much overt racism as denial that racism exists is more my mm -hmm. experience. And um Libertarian ideals are, are super prevalent. Um, mm. So they might not be as, as you know, odious as like a James Damore or, um, or a Donald Trump. Um, there might be um, sort of these soft ideas that really deny like oppression or, um, or um, don't have, um, um, assume a level playing field, like, like as if um, um, 
you know, everyone comes from the exact same place with the exact same wealth and the exact same experiences. So why can't we all just achieve with a little work? Right. It seems like tech would be an area where myths of meritocracy would be very strong. Very much so. And, you know, it's not completely without um, basis. A lot of people do start out sort of learning on their own with without support. But Mm. that almost in itself undermines the meritocracy part because you have to have the time, the resources in order to be, you know, like spend that time fiddling around and um, building things for yourself or for your friends. Like that means that you don't have kids or three jobs or, uh, and you have a computer and a great internet connection and tons and tons of time to sit and like learn and read issue cues and all that other stuff. So yeah, it's like, yeah, there is a, a, you know, somewhat a merit, but like a lot of people don't even get to have the opportunity to even try the things that would, you know, let them make better things. I mean, I think we've kind of covered this, but is there anything more like you guys want to say about your own personal experiences, like women, a woman of color, like in the tech industry? Um, and also just the sort of politicization um, of that, like what it's meant to you personally, that there is this tech worker organizing going on in this field. I think one thing that not enough people know is how important a diverse workplace is. And I think even I didn't know it until um, the last couple of years, I've had the first black woman coworker. Wow. In it since um, for like, I think like 15 years, like since I was right out of college was the first last time I'd worked with another black woman. And it makes such a difference. We don't have the same politics. We have very different interests, but just being able to have someone else who understands racism, who can like feel the little cues and who can talk about hair, like is, <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's an entirely a quality of life thing mm-hmm. um, having. Um, and so I think I'm, and, and the fact that I have other women of color engineers on my team, um, again, like I just feel really <laughs> lucky because in those situations where it's not the case, it's very isolating. Um, there's a lot of, you know, what we call microaggressions where you just feel like um, people aren't taking you seriously or you have to spend a lot of time doing a lot of work that isn't your work. Like you do um, a lot of um, what is called women's work in addition to your work um, in situations like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it um there's a lot to say. I, there's also, you know, I did have an experience where I found out a coworker who was doing the exact same job was being paid almost exactly 30% more than me. Um, that's that's the stat, right? Yeah. I know. It was like, really? Like you do the math and it's like 30%. How nice. Um, and I don't think anyone, there are no evil actors in that, um, scenario, but what there were, were like a bunch of, um, assumptions and practices and sort of like maybe low key prejudices, um, um, or, or maybe it's more accurate to say that, that the coworker was being paid a lot more, um, knew about things like negotiating salary and, mm-hmm. um, just a lot of things that like, I just didn't have, I just never occurred to me mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and that was pretty early in my career. Um, and it was, it was actually devastating. I was really, really upset. And I think everyone who was, who found out about it was really upset. Um, so, um, I, those things are less likely to think to happen to me now. California just passed a wage, um, law that says that employers can't ask 
cannot ask for your prior experience um, or your prior salary history in order to, uh, to determine your next salary. Wow. Um, and yeah. So it's really huge because so many women yeah. in tech are paid consistently less or well, women in general, let's face it, any, 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 um, any job where you, um, um, don't have a set salary, like a teacher's have a set salary schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a lot of room for, you know, fuzzy math and errors. So women historically being paid less are mm-hmm. con- historically continue to be paid less. And so the rule now in California is you don't have to tell your prior ha- salary. You can just say, how much does this job pay? And this is how, what I think I should earn based on my previous experience. Like that's huge. Like that will make a mm-hmm. huge difference in people's lives. Um, I'm a bit off topic now, but, <laughs> but oh, I, have a, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Because Cheryl Sandberg just boils it all down to you got to lean in. Just so. lean in, yeah. Right, just lean in. right yeah. There's, there's so much leaning by yeah. women in tech. <laughs> like it does, it's quite not quite enough. Zakia's experience sort of mirrors my own in many ways. Like, I've never really had a very much, I very much agree with like, there weren't like any single evil actor, but just like a series of things that were just present that made my experience, like me feel very aware that I was like one of the few women in in my workplace. And yeah, I think diverse, diverse workforces are important. You like, it's huge to have another woman coworker to talk about things and just even from like what everyone, all of your coworkers like to do uh, can be sort of like alienating. Like my <laughs> workplace was very much like what we did outside work was drink and watch sports, which is fine pastimes. They're good, but they're not really <laughs> my thing. And like oftentimes like when I said this isn't my thing, they're like, oh yeah, you're a girl. And it's like, or you're a woman or whatever. And it's like, okay, like there are plenty of women who like sports too. It's just not, I don't know. Like those sorts of like weird things that make you feel very aware that you're not one of the group, I guess, can be really present. Um, I've also had experiences with pay kind of similar to Zakia. Um, and part of that was also like, I'm self-taught. I don't have a computer science background or I didn't when I was working. Um, yeah, it's been very nice to have some of these conversations about how do we democratize our workplaces? How do we have a more equitable workplace happening in the tech scene? Um, it's been a really nice place to get to know people and where I can feel like I can actually be my genuine self and express, um, who I am, what I'm interested in, and actually work on a project that will make our lives better. <laughs> yeah, that's a great transition to to our next question, which is um, really to talk about, well, what does some of this organizing work kind of look like on the ground? I mean, there's this fairly well-known tech workers coalition that is sort of um, already in full swing in a number of different cities and brings people together to kind of talk about these things. Maybe you guys can just sort of reflect on what 
the Tech Workers Coalition, kind of what its meaning more broadly is, sort of in, in general terms. What is the Tech Workers Coalition trying to do? How do people in it kind of see what this effort is about? Uh, what are some of the uh, initiatives that they've taken? That sort of thing. Yeah, um, the Tech Workers Coalition sees itself as an informal worker center, um, basically loosely organizing around projects involving uh, solidarity, um, services, and organizing. So it mainly sees itself as a resource, a place where people can learn about history together or um, get advice and train themselves to organize um, in their workplace. Um, so I think broadly what that's meant is it's meant that folks who've seen something unequitable happening at their workplace and have felt like they didn't know what to do about it, um, see some examples of what they could do and how they can actually take what they want to see into, in their workplaces into their own hands and work with their coworkers. Um, to try to make that happen. Um, so I think it's been just exciting for a lot of folks because previously I've felt sort of unable to make change in, in my workplace just because I didn't know how, or I wasn't sure what had been tried before and other things like that. And I think giving a voice to, to that and like saying you actually can, like you don't just have to do whatever your boss wants, or you don't have to put up with things that are unequitable happening. There's a way to change things. Um, I think has been, I found it really exciting on a personal level. Okay. Well, what do you think some of the um, future directions are for tech worker organizing? What are some of the, you know, battle lines or things people can get involved in? And if people are tech workers, like, you know, how can they, you know, what kinds of things should they be thinking about? Yeah, I definitely think any tech worker who's in any way um, thinking about their workplace and ways it can be better should start going to Tech Workers Coalition things. I've gotten a lot out of attending their events, and it's it's really amazing. Like, you think you have some good ideas, and then you're like, wow, I, I have way more after every single time I interact. Um, but um, as far as, like, as a whole, like, what this movement can do, I think there's um, you know, I think there's a lot of more of the same, like, for instance, with the Google walkout, they um, won um, the end of forced arbitration for, um, I believe, just the sexual harassment cases, um, but not for ones that are about diversity. Right. Mm. So and, and a lot of people are like aware of that. And like and so um, I, I think it's just just like continuing this, you know, like not um, accepting that that is the end of the struggle, like being, having your sites, um, you know, ever forward, you know, like I think this movement is on the ascendancy and, um, there's still there, they've won a lot of really important, um, um, they've had a lot of really important wins and I think there's more to be had, um, um, for sure. And then ultimately, right. Wouldn't it be great if there was a tech workers union? Like if, if <laughs> like we were, <laughs> if we had some, you know, legal protections and it was democracy and, you know, it's totally, um, you know, democratic, like mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more to go. There's a lot of room, room, you know, in there, but, um, I think it'll be up to the people who participate, who, who will determine how it, which direction it goes. Right. 
the one thing about unions is like, I think unions are useful. I think when we talk about a tech union, we need to be like a little bit specific about like who would be in it. Cause I think we want to push against like a craft unionism, like just mm. engineers have their own union and think about the industry in like a more holistic way because the tech industry isn't just, you know, engineers or like the people that we conventionally think of as techies. It's so many more people from UX designers to like the cafeteria workers and janitors who are very much crucial to keeping these companies going. And I think when we talk about an actually democratic organization of these workers, like all of those people need to be included. Okay, so we've spent most of the time talking about all the problems with the tech industry, rightfully so, and also what tech workers are trying to do to address those problems. But now with the last few minutes here, maybe we can turn to the question of what would it take for the tech industry to actually live up to the potential that people hold out for it so that it would actually, what would make it possible for tech to be a force for good rather than a force for evil? Well, I might be a little biased on this question, but I think you would have to remove <laughs> profit. <laughs> it would have to be profit is uh, drives so much of um, the direction that the industry takes. Um, so like you have, um, uh, for instance, like accessibility, right? Like, so a big thing, if you're building, um, device, uh, code for devices and things like that is, you know, people who are blind or have disabilities need to be able to use them. Um, that can be like, you know, time consuming work. And if someone's not willing to put in the time and the energy to do the extra work to make sure that you're not just meeting, meeting Mm -hmm. the minimum basic requirements, then, um, um, then those people aren't being served. So like if there's no, um, it's like we invest heavily in the things that like governments want and we invest heavily in the things that our advertisers want, um, but not so much in the things that people need, you know? So we could have, um, you know, um, like what's a good example. Um, um, Black Lives Matter has, wouldn't exist without, um, you know, cell phones, you know, the the current cell phone technology, right? So like we can see ways in which these devices can connect each other to one another. Do we have to have that at the sacrifice of our privacy, you know? And who wants, who wants that data? It's not like the people building, um, who, who write the, uh, code for iOS really want to, um, have a, you know where every single person is on the planet at every single moment, right? Um, it's because there's a business case for it. There's, um, you know, people want to be able to advertise. Governments want to be able to um, lock people up or surveil them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if we remove some of, if we remove the profit mode, I think um, we could have um, tech that is mostly for good. I think that we could, when when things pop up that seem to be um, you know, there's this gig economy stuff where a lot of people are taking on low wage jobs because, um, and they're sort of technologically um, assisted, like with, um, with like Uber and Lyft and all that. And it's not a bad thing to have efficient things, right? But it is bad to have efficient things at the sacrifice of like people's ability to like live and work. So we can keep the, you know, GPS point to point, like super sophisticated stuff. I just think like we should be able to pay the people who are doing that work 
a living wage. And, um, and, and, you know, a lot of the business models right now are built around um, not wait, either waiting around until the regulations don't apply um, and beating down governments so that they don't um, actually enforce laws that would protect people um, or just straight up exploitation. So I think like when I started building websites, I just wanted to, you know, make things for people. Um, and um, I think most people who start writing code want to usually want to do or say or show something awesome, you know? Um, and then it gets corrupted by all these other things and all these other needs. And like a lot of times, like the stuff that's like really important to, that would be really important to the vast majority of people doesn't get worked on because it's not going to make, um, money for the right person. So I just think there's a lot of potential there if you remove the profit stuff. Kristen, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I guess on, on that, like one of the big things that comes up, like you'll see this in the mainstream news is like what jobs are going to be automated away and the craziness that tech is like putting out into the world and how this is going to affect people's lives. And the reason why automation can be a really bad thing and is because people need jobs to survive. But if you could imagine a world where like our basic needs were met and we didn't need to sell our labor to survive, like it would actually be really good if mm-hmm. like some of the routine mundane tasks that we have to do to maintain our life and our world were done that we didn't have to do that and we could have more time to be ourselves and to work on our projects that we want to work on for ourselves and for our communities and I think there's like a massive logistics empire that spans the globe like if that wasn't used to ship products to sell, but used to feed everyone who needs food. Like, I think there's a lot of ways we can think about reshaping the technology we have now that is, is used for certain tasks and how to use those technologies to make sure that everyone's needs are met. Um, and that we all have time, like we have a limited amount of time on on earth and like that we live lives that we want to live and feel feel fulfilled by them and have the time to do that i think could be really awesome and i think that technology is one of the things that we would need to harness to make the world that we want possible okay 215 and the lights come on where my phone looking around like where my phone looking where my homies with All right, that's this week's episode of Better Off Red. The tracks we used this week started with Cybotron with their Techno City. That was followed by Holly Herndon's Home, which is a song about the surveillance state. Then there was Craftwork, Computer Love, and this is Lizzo with her track Phone. We'll be back next week with a fresh episode of Better Off Red. Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my... Where the hell my phone, huh? How I'm supposed to get home? Okay. Ooh, unlock that. All up in my contacts. Ooh, unlock that. All up in my contacts. Ooh, unlock that. All up in my contacts. Ooh.